Amen. Amen. Man, I tell you, like, worship was great in the room today. I pray it was uh, as beneficial and encouraging for you at home as it was here in the room. But I just want to say how grateful we are for all of you joining us online today. Um, if we have not met yet, my name is Pat Malloy. I'm the lead pastor here at Livingstones. And it's going to be a great morning. I'm so glad to have all of you tuned in and joining us on our uh, Facebook page here today. If you've not already done so, make sure you say good morning to your church family. Make sure that you uh, hit the share button and so as many people as possible can uh, be able to experience this, this video and this teaching and, and the worship this morning. And uh, I also just want to remind you too, we're going to take communion at the end of service today as well. So if you need to prepare for that, you go ahead and do that right now. So I have a few things I want to share with you this morning before we get into the word. Um, First of all, I'm sure most of you probably heard or saw that Governor Holcomb uh, on Friday started to uh, reintroduce his, his plan for getting uh, everybody reopened up and, and getting churches and businesses and, and everything kind of uh, back, to, back to normal and working uh, together again and, and really kind of loosening some of those stay-at-home restrictions that have been in place. And so what I want to do is I just want to share with you real quickly kind of what that means for all of us here um, now, I know everybody is super excited about being able to, to join together and be able to gather in person once again, and I'll, I'll tell you, like, there's nobody who is more looking forward to being able to, to see everyone and, and gather together in person than I am, um, and, and so we, we just want you to know, like, we, we join you in that excitement. We are super, uh, uh, we're, we're ready. We're, we're ready to, to be able to, to meet in person and have our church family all together in, in one place again. But with all the, the new information that just came out on, on Friday and the, the new guidelines and, and restrictions that, that uh, apply to uh, specifically to places of worship and, and gathering spaces and, and all of that, we're taking all that in, we're digesting it, we're reading through it, and, um, and we've already kind of come up with some tentative plans and ideas for what church is going to look like once we can gather together once again. And, and with, with all the, the new information that's c just come out, we're having a, a number of meetings this week. I'm meeting with our staff. I'm meeting with our elders. And we're really trying to put together a, a cohesive plan for what this is going to look like for us moving forward together as a church, what it's going to look like for us gathering here and, and all that. So, so, so let me just kind of share this with you. Next Sunday, we're going to meet only online like we are right now this morning on our, on our Facebook page. That, that we're, we're just trying to, to get as many things, get as much information, get all of our plans, all of our ducks in a row. And next Sunday, I will share more with you about what our, what our game plan, what it's going to look like moving forward for all of us as, as a church body. And so don't, make sure you stay at home. Don't come here to the church next Sunday. We're going to meet online only next Sunday. And I'm going to share and just kind of roll out and lay out for you what our plan is moving forward. And, and obviously, this is it, it's, a, it's a big thing. There, there's a lot of pieces involved to this. And what we want to do is we want to be able to find a way to reopen our church in a way that's safe and that's responsible. Because ultimately, we, we love you guys so much, and we don't want to put any of you in danger. We, don't, we love our community and our neighbors, and we don't want to put any of them in danger either. And so there's just a lot of factors we're weighing out. And so I, what I would ask all of you, and I would greatly appreciate you guys praying for for myself, praying for just our staff, our elders, our leadership here, as we really put together a plan for what it's going to look like to meet in a way that's safe and responsible for everybody who is involved. So make sure next Sunday you join us right here again online at 1030. It's going to be great, and I'll share all of our plans 
moving forward with you, just what our, what our next chapter is going to look like. And I got to tell you, I am very excited for what that next chapter is going to be. Now, in the meantime, though, we are still continuing to do our online devotionals on Tuesday nights and on Thursday nights at 7 o'clock on our LSC Facebook page. And uh, Jen Paul and Randy Romer did the devotionals this week, and they did a great job. I was really encouraged by them and seeing you guys interacting with them. And so I just want to remind you to plan on joining us every Tuesday and Thursday evening at 7 o'clock. We do just a, a live devotion. I'll be doing uh, the one this coming, this coming Tuesday. And, uh, and if you miss it live, you can always go back and, and watch it later, but it's just another way for us to stay connected as well. And then we also have a really cool opportunity to be able to support some of our graduating seniors during this time. Like, they're not going to have the same kind of graduation experience that most of us have, have been able to have. And, and so there, there's some unique things that are going on for our community to kind of rally around our seniors. And so I'm not going to go through all the details right now, but later this afternoon, we're going to have a post on our LSC Facebook page um, for you, just kind of detailing some of the ways that we can be an encouragement and that we can love and support our graduating seniors during this time as well. So I also just want to tell you just how, uh, just how proud of you I am just as a church body. I've, I've talked to a bunch of other pastors, other leaders, and, and all this during this time. And I got to tell you, Livingstones, I'm not just blowing smoke at you. I really, truly am very proud of you and the way that you guys have just rallied together, the way that you guys have continued to be faithful in your giving and, and, and all of that. Where, where giving has definitely been down, but it has not been devastating to us. And, and I, again, I've talked to some other pastors where, where they are in very dire straits right now because of just their giving has plummeted so much. And, and like I said, while it's down, you guys have continued to be faithful. You guys have continued to, to still honor God in your finances. And I just want to thank you all for, for that. And, and just remind you, there's a couple different ways that you can continue to give. You can go on our LSC Facebook page and you can, um, there's, there's a tab there, a, a link that you can go and set up an online giving account. You can set up recurring giving there. You can give online on, on our, via our app, or you can also mail, uh, excuse me, mail a check here to the church. These are all different ways that you can continue to give, and, and links to that will be in, in the comments below here. But, but I just want to continue to thank you just for, for just how, how much you guys have just blessed me during this time. It's been just a, a big weight off of my shoulders knowing that you guys are, are continuing just to, to support the, the church financially during this time. And, and really, I, I'm, I am so very proud of, of all of you. And just want, to, want you to know that you are, you are making a difference. In, in your generosity, you are making a difference here in our church and in our community. And I just want to thank you for that. And, th and then lastly, we're also... Uh, we, we've been united in prayer with a, 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 a movement that's called Unite 714. And you can get more information about this. I've talked about it over the last number of weeks at Unite714.com, where we've just been partnering with literally tens of thousands of churches and millions of believers around the world, just in praying for God just to do something awesome and incredible through this entire uh, COVID-19 situation we find ourselves in. And so we're going to pray right now, and then we will get into our message. So Lord, I, I just want to thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you, God, that you are at work, even in this moment, Lord, that, that you are providing comfort to those who need it, for those who have been affected, Lord. And, and God, we are praying for God just a, a dramatic halt to the spread of this uh, COVID-19 situation, Lord, that, that, the, that the disease will stop spreading, God, that, that, that our healthcare workers and, and the scientists that are working on finding a, a, a cure and, and, a, and a treatment 
for this and, and everybody who's been in, uh, affected, the teachers and parents, people who are out of work, Lord God, that you are going to uh, just make a way in their lives where, God, maybe they don't see a way right now. God, we just look to you as the author and the finisher of our faith, and we want you to know that our faith is completely in you. Our trust is in you during this time, and God, we just pray that you are going to bless abundantly everybody who has been affected through this, Lord. We just thank you, God, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, so we are continuing a, a series today that we began last week that we're calling Messy Middle. And, and really what this series is all about is what do we do when we find ourselves in just this, this messy middle part where we can't go backwards, we're too far in to go back, and if we're honest, as we look back, things are going to be different than how they looked before, but we're not far enough through that we can kind of see the finish line, where we can see, all right, I just need to go just a little bit further, and we're just in this, this messy middle part that we find ourselves in right now. And, and last Sunday, we talked about what to do in that messy middle where everything feels chaotic, where everything feels unmanageable and out of control. And, and what I shared with you is the story about how the disciples, they were literally in a messy middle, in the middle of the night, in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, this big storm blows in and starts throwing their, their boat all out of whack, and the waves are coming, and, and, and they start panicking and freaking out and all this. And what, the, what are the lessons that they learned in the middle of that messy situation where everything felt chaotic and out of control? Well, today we're going to talk about a different aspect of being in the messy middle. And, and obviously this is one that, that I'm sure most of us, if not all of us, find ourselves in right now. And, and so as, as, many as, as many of you know, my family and I were originally from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And, uh, and so we typically go back to Milwaukee to visit a couple times a year. And, and one of the things about driving back to Milwaukee is you have to head through Chicago every time, unless you want to go way around and add a couple hours to your drive time. You have to drive through Chicago to get there. And, and, and one of the things that anybody who drives through Chicago ultimately dreads is the toll booths. Like everybody hates going up and, and having to get in line at the tolls and, and, and all that. And, and so a, a year or two ago, we were driving back to Milwaukee and we were pro approaching the toll plaza. And there was about four or five of the lanes that were open. And I was doing what probably most of us do, if not all of us do, is as we're, as we're driving up, we kind of size up each of the lanes. We see, all right, which, which, car ha or which lane has the most cars in it, which is the lane that's moving, and I'm going to go in the one that I'm going to be able to get through there the fastest. And so I, being the smart guy that I am, I found the lane that looked like it was moving the quickest, and I got myself in that lane. And there was about two cars in front of us there. And the first car goes through, no problem. And then the second car. And we're just sitting there, and we're waiting, and the arm's not going up and letting them go through, and we're waiting, and I'm thinking, all right, buddy, come on, let's, let's get a move on here. And the arm's still not going up. And, and then I see him reach over, and he's pushing the call button to speak to the attendant. And I'm just like, oh, come on, are you serious? And, and, and we're just like, oh, like I, I want to get going here. And I'm stuck here behind this guy, and, and he's not moving. And then, of course, I do the thing that I'm sure all of us do. We look over to the lane that we were going to go in, the one that we were going to choose, and say, all right, had I picked that lane, would I have been through? And of course, those guys are all long gone by now, and I'm thinking, oh, you gotta be, you got to be joking. And so I, I do what all the, all the signs there tell you not to do, is I put the van in reverse, and I decide, all right, I'm getting out of this lane, and I'm going to go in the other lane. And so I put in reverse, pull into the next lane, 
And I'm sure you can probably guess what's, hap- what's going to happen is I find myself in the same exact situation where another guy can't get through this toll plaza. And, and I'm, just, I'm just sitting here exasperated. I'm frustrated. I'm probably muttering some things about this guy that I shouldn't under my breath because I, I don't want to wait. I just want to, I just want to go. And, and if, there's, if there's anything you, you guys might know about me, I'm not always the most patient person in the world. I, I can be patient with people, but like waiting, having to be patient, and, and, um, and, and having to take my time with things, I struggle with that. Like I, I do that same kind of scenario about picking which lane if I'm at the grocery store. And I look at the, you know, how much people have in their carts and, you know, do, do they look like they're going to have a bunch of coupons that they got to bring out and scan? Or, or, or when I go to the drive through lane at the bank, like I want to pick the lane that's going to be going the fastest. And, and I'm sure most of us are, are doing that. But I hate, I hate waiting. And I'm sure like you, most of you guys hate waiting too. Like, and we all get frustrated when we call customer service up and we're stuck on hold forever. Or when we go to the doctor and we sit in the waiting room, and when we finally get called, we go into the exam room and we start waiting even longer in there too. And, and, and we find ourselves constantly in these places where we're just, where we're, where we're waiting. And, and then we get irritated when we're having to wait too long. Like if we're in the drive through lane at getting fast food, and we have to wait more than four minutes to get our meal, like we get pretty frustrated. We get pretty hacked off. And, and, and it, it, by the way, have you guys seen the line at Chick-fil-A lately? Like, it, like it's insane, like, but I, I suppose there are some things that are worth waiting for. But, but anyways, like one of, one of the, the great philosophers of the 20th century really had something amazing to say about this whole idea of waiting. And in, in, his, book, in his book, Oh, the Places You'll Go by Dr. Seuss, he, he really, and, and many of you might have like received this book like at, at graduate, when you graduated high school or graduated from college and and this is my copy from when I graduated high school. And he really had something unique to say about waiting, where, where the character in the story, he's kind of going through life, he's going to different places and all this, and he finds himself in, in a very unusual place. And I just want to read to you just this, this small section from Oh, the Places You'll Go. He says, You can get so confused that you'll start in a race, down some wiggled roads at a breaknecking pace, or grind on for miles across weirdish wild space headed, I fear, towards a most useless place, the waiting place. For people just waiting, waiting for a train to go, or a bus to come, or a plane to go, or the mail to come, or the rain to go, or the phone to ring, or the snow to snow, or waiting around for a yes or a no, or waiting for their hair to grow. Everyone is just waiting, waiting for the fish to bite, or waiting for wind to fly a kite, or waiting around for Friday night or waiting perhaps for their Uncle Jake, or a pot to boil, or a better break, or a string of pearls, or a pair of pants, or a wig with curls, or another chance. Everyone is just waiting. And and if if you look at the picture that Dr. Seuss drew of of the people who are in the waiting place, they all have just kind of this this wide-eyed, dead, glossy look on their face, where you're just waiting, and you're, you're just waiting for something. And, and in a lot of ways, that's where I feel like we are right now, where everything is just on hold and we're just, we're just in this holding pattern. We're just waiting right now. You know, like we're, we're waiting for, for school to open back up and for vacations, waiting to be able to get a haircut, waiting for jobs to reopen and, and places to, to rehire again, wait, waiting to come back to church. Like, and unfortunately, waiting is just a part of life. It's a part of life that we 
end up having to do, deal with, and none of us really enjoy it. But one of the things that, that I've found over and over is that the Bible is full of times where God's people had to wait, where they were just stuck in this place, in that waiting place, waiting for something to happen. A- Abraham waited for 25 years for the promise of him being able to be a father and before he finally had, before he had Isaac. Jacob had to wait for 14 years before he could marry Rachel. The, the Israelites, they, they waited for 400 years to be delivered from Egypt. The, the thousands of years passed where people waited for the Messiah to come. Paul, on a much smaller scale, he had to wait three years before, between when he had his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus and when he could begin his ministry. Like, and, and I could go on and on. Moses waited. And, and like, the Bible is full of times where God's people were forced to wait. They were in a waiting place. But the great news is, and I want to encourage you with this this morning, is what's waiting for us on the other side of this, of this waiting place. And, and, and I, I, I could be wrong, but I can't find a single time in the Bible where on the opposite end, on the, on the far side of a waiting place, of a waiting period, where there wasn't something great or, or, or monumental that took place. Every time I find in Scripture that God's people are having to wait, it's because there's going to be some kind of spiritual explosion that takes place on the other side of that waiting, that there's always a positive outcome on the other side of, of our waiting time. And I believe that's really the moment that we find ourselves in right now too. And, and so where I want to begin this morning, talking about waiting in, in this messy middle part that we find ourselves in, is with the story of, of Joseph, is the story of Joseph. And, and, and I want you to know that, that Joseph is such an interesting person in the Bible, that there's more written, there's more text given to Joseph's life in the Bible than any other character in the Bible other than Jesus. There, there's, there's more written about Joseph in, in this time. And, and we're first introduced to Joseph in Genesis chapter 37, and I want to read for you, read for you from uh, verses 2 through 4 in Genesis 37. And, and the author writes, he says, Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the son of Bilhah and the son of Zilpha, his father's wives. And he brought his father a bad report about them, about, about his brothers. He, he's kind of tattling on his brothers. Now Israel, who was who also Jacob, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, and they could not speak one kind word to him. And, and one, of the, one of the things I find so interesting when we're first introduced to, to Joseph, the very first thing that we learn about Joseph is that he's a 17-year-old tattletale. In, in verse 2, it says that he brought his father a bad report about his brothers. Like, like isn't that something that we would expect from our 5-year-old, not necessarily our 17-year-old who's practically an adult? You know, like, I, I meant, Dad, guess what the boys are doing now? Dad, Reuben forgot to put the plow away. Like, I, I imagine this 17-year-old punk kid who's tattling on, on his older brothers and, and, like, trying to get them into trouble and then we also learn something just really unique is that, that Joseph was his father Jacob's favorite son. And, and if you read the story of Jacob, you know that Jacob was actually his mother's favorite son too. And, and so 
Jacob kind of continues this, this bad tradition, this bad family tradition of picking favorites, which, by the way, don't ever do pick favorites with, with your kids. And all of his brothers hated him. His brothers absolutely despised him. And, and I don't have enough time to go through all of Joseph's life, so I'm going to kind of give you a Cliff Notes version of, of kind of, of, of how, we, how we end up landing where Joseph is in this incredible waiting place. And so uh, Joseph, he, he ends up having some dreams about his mother and his father and his brothers all bowing down to him. And, and, and for his brothers, this was the last straw where they said, all right, we, we've had enough of this. We are never bowing down to you. You've got to be kidding me. And they decide they need to get rid of him. And, and eventually they end up selling him to some slave traders who were heading to Egypt. And, and once, once the slave traders were, were in Egypt, they told their father that, uh, that Jacob had, or excuse me, not Jacob, that uh, Joseph had been killed by some wild animals. And, and so while he's in Egypt, he gets sold to a man named Potiphar. And he's, he's owned by Potiphar, and he starts working for Potiphar in his house. And, and one of the unique things about Joseph was that everything he did, the Bible says, that it prospered. That every, he must have had some great leadership skills and, and skills at administration because eventually he was kind of put in charge of everything in Potiphar's house, that everything he did turned out well. And, and eventually, Potiphar's wife ends up kind of taking a liking to Joseph. She's, she's looking at him, thinks he's pretty pretty good looking and all this, and she tries to seduce him on a number of occasions that he rebuffs. He, he says, no, I'm not doing that. That's not okay. And, and eventually, she, her feelings get so hurt by, by all this, and she's been so scorned that she goes to her husband. She goes to Potiphar and said that Joseph had, had raped her, and Potiphar is just beside himself, and he believes her, and he ends up having Joseph thrown into prison. And so now Joseph finds himself in prison for a crime that he never committed. And, and this is where we're going to be picking up Joseph's story. And, and, and I'm sure some of you right now might feel like you're in prison in a way, or you feel like you've not been able to go out of the house and all this. And I, I, I guess let me say this. Actually, look at your spouse, and I want you to say, I don't, I don't know what Pat's talking about. Anywhere I'm with you doesn't feel like a prison. So no, I, just ignore everything that he's saying. I don't feel like I'm in prison whatsoever. But, so just ignore what, what I just said. But now, we, now we don't know the exact amount of time that Joseph ends up spending in prison. Um, most, most scholars that, that I've read believe he was in there between 8 and 12 years that he's rotting in this prison cell for something that he didn't do. And, and, and the unique thing about it is Joseph, while he's in prison, he does the same thing that he did at Potiphar's house. Like he was, he was just his, his leadership skills, his administration skills, really kind of uh, flourished during this time, and he was put in charge of virtually the entire prison. He was kind of second in command of just kind of watching over the other prisoners and taking care of things while he was in prison. And so while he's there, he actually meets two, two men. He meets the, the Pharaoh's baker, and he meets the Pharaoh's cupbearer in there, and, and they each have a dream, and God gives Joseph the ability to interpret these dreams. And I want to read for you in, in Genesis chapter 40 what, what the interpretation that Joseph had of the cupbearer's dream. And he says in, in Genesis 40 verses 12 through 15, he says, this is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches, and, and ultimately it doesn't matter what, what the dream was about. I just want to share with you what Joseph's saying. He said, the, the three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift you up your head and restore you to your position. And you will be Pharaoh's cup, you will bear, excuse me, you will put Pharaoh's cup 
in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well for you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried here from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being in this dungeon. So he interprets this dream. He said, you know what? You're going to be let out of here in three days. But when you get let out of here, just appeal to Pharaoh for me. I don't want to be stuck in this prison any longer. And sure enough, everything happened exactly as Joseph had said. Within three days, Pharaoh's cupbearer comes out and he ends up going back into Pharaoh's court and and handing the Pharaoh his wine once again. But then we come to verse 23. And in verse 23, it says, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And, and, and I'll tell you, like I'm sure many of you have felt this way, and maybe some of you do right now, where you feel forgotten in, in a way, and just say, like, here I am. I'm just, I'm stuck here once again. And I feel like I've been forgotten, and I'm just, I'm just waiting. I'm just stuck here. And like Joseph, he had had these dreams where, where his family was going to bow down to him, and he was going to be put in charge of all kinds of things, and he finds himself rotting in this prison cell for something he didn't do. And, and I'm, I'm quite certain that at some points he might have been just feeling some despair that like, I'm stuck in this prison. I'm just, I'm waiting. I don't even know what I'm waiting for. I'm just waiting. And, and, and eventually, two years later, from, from this interaction he has with the cupbearer, he does get let out where the Pharaoh has a dream and, and the cupbearer all of a sudden remembers, oh yeah, I remember there was a guy I met in prison who could interpret dreams. And he calls for Joseph and he gets let out of of the prison. And, and eventually what happens is Joseph, he becomes second in charge over all of Egypt, that, that, he, that he knew that God had given him this, this revelation, that there was going to be a big famine that was coming, and they needed to prepare for it. They needed to take seven years to prepare for this big famine that was going to be coming. And all of a sudden, Joseph goes from being this forgotten nobody who's just waiting in prison to now being second in command in all, in all of Egypt. And many, many, many lives were saved because of Joseph. And, and, and so the, the application, I really believe there's, there's a couple things we can learn in our lives from, from Joseph's waiting time that he had right here. And so the, the first thing that I, that I want to share with you that I believe we can learn during this time is that God is working while I'm waiting. God is working while I'm waiting. And, and oftentimes we can feel like, Waiting time is wasted time. And, and I, want, I want you to know that, hear this, that's not the case, that, that it's not a waste, that God is still working while, while I'm waiting. Like, think, of, think about if you, anybody who plants a seed in the ground. Like, if you plant a seed in the ground, you have to wait months before you can either enjoy the flower, you can enjoy the harvest and actually get something from that, that, that there was stuff going on in that in-between time, between when the seed was sown and when it was harvested later on, that, that there's stuff that's happening during that waiting time that you would not be able to enjoy the harvest if you didn't go through the waiting. If you tried to harvest, let's say, corn, if you had wanted to harvest that corn before the proper waiting time, it wouldn't taste good. It, w- it would be terrible. It, w- it wouldn't be worth anything. You have to allow that waiting time to take place. And, and so I, I, I want you to hear this. God is working while I'm waiting. In Psalm 105, the, the psalmist actually starts talking about Joseph and, and his situation. 
that, that we find ourselves in. And, and in Psalm 105, verse 15 through 19, it says that he called for a famine in the land of Canaan, cutting off its food supply. Then he sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar. And until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. And I, and I want you to catch this, that God is the one who sent Joseph into Egypt. That, that, that's what Psalm 105 here is saying, that God is the one who sent Joseph into Egypt. And how did he send him there? Like through a series of just awful situations and awful circumstances, where, where he, was, he, was made, he went to Egypt by being thrown into a well and being sold as a slave and being sold as a slave to Potiphar and then being falsely accused and being put in prison and ultimately getting out of prison. Like all these things happened. God was the one that sent Joseph into Egypt. God was at work. He, he was kind of orchestrating things behind the scenes. But then we come to verse 19. And verse 19 says this, until the time came. Until the time came. And I, I want you to catch this. That there was a waiting season. There was a waiting season for Joseph because there were things that needed to be worked out. There were things that needed to be orchestrated until the time came. Until the time came. God was still working while Joseph was waiting. Things needed to be lined up and the time needed to be just right. The time needed to be just right. I, I, I love the Lord of the Rings movies and, and if you've watched Fellowship of the Ring, at the very beginning, I think it might even be the, the first dialogue we hear in the, in the Fellowship of the Ring, Frodo comes up to, to Gandalf the wizard and he accuses Gandalf of, of being late. And, and I love Gandalf's response. He says, a wizard is never late, Frodo Baggins, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. And, and I think that same thing can be said of God, that God is never early, he's never late, that God always arrives precisely when he means to. There, there was 400 years of silence between when the last time that Malachi prophesied and the birth of Jesus, where people were just waiting. Like they weren't hearing from God, nothing was going on. There was just a 400-year period where nothing was happening, and it was just a period of waiting. But I want you to know this. God was working in that period, in that 400-year waiting time. God was still at work. That, that during this time, Alexander the Great was actually taking Greek civilization all throughout the world and really giving the world a common language by, by which the, the, the letters and the texts and the conversations about Jesus would be able to take place, that, that there was a common language throughout the known world that happened when Alexander the Great started conquering. And then not only that, then the Romans started to take over the known world and they started building roads Roads by which the, 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 the good news of the gospel was going to be carried into all the world through these different roads. That God was orchestrating things. God was setting things up for when his son was going to be born until the time came. And, and I want you to hear this. God is still working while we're waiting. God's still up to something. He's still doing something even in the midst of our waiting time. Now, the, the second thing I think we can learn from Joseph's waiting time is this that we need to allow God to work on our character. We need to allow God to work on our character. And, and, and the question I ask myself and the question I ask you is, is there, is there something that God wants to do in your character? Is, is there something he wants to do 
in, in your heart to, to mold you and to shape you. Like oftentimes, our, us waiting in this messy middle, these waiting periods that we find ourselves in, God is wanting to do something in us to prepare us for what is next. And we wouldn't be ready for what's next until we deal with what's going on inside of us in the present. And, and, and now th- this is not in Scripture, but this is something I've often thought about with Joseph. And so this is, this is purely my opinion. But I've often thought that I think Joseph dealt with a, a, a real pride issue in a lot of ways. Like, I, I really felt like Joseph struggled with pride. And let, let me just kind of lay it out for you. I, I, I mentioned with you before, he was a 17-year-old tattletale trying to get his older brothers into trouble. He, he was his father's favorite to the point that, that his father Jacob made him this beautiful coat of, of many colors, that, that he had dreams, that his entire family was going to bow down to him, that, that everything that he did was successful. When, when he became the leader of Potiphar's house and everything he did was successful, and then, and then uh, Potiphar's wife wanted him. I'm sure that, that's a boost to the ego too, you know, like she found him desirable and all this, and, and then he became second in charge in the prison, and, and he could interpret dreams. Like everything Joseph did seemed to go well. Like if that's a recipe for pride to, to, to bake in, in right there. But sitting in a prison cell for several years has a way of kind of bringing you down a couple notches. And, and, I, and I, I wonder if if that's what God was doing with Joseph during this waiting time, that he was dealing with some of that pride, some of, the, some of that ego that Joseph had dealt with up until this point, and saying, Joseph, I can't really use you for what I really want to use you for until we deal with some of these heart issues that you have going on. And, and at the end of Joseph's story, he ends up being reunited with his father and with, with his brothers. And what does he do? He, he, he responds to them in grace. He responds to them in a, in a way that ultimately saves them and saves all of the, the Hebrew people. And part of me, I, and I, I think most of us, like we might not have blamed Joseph that when his father and his brothers came to him and said, oh, we're, we're hungry, we need some food. We said, get out of here. Are you kidding me? You sold me as a slave? Like, you, like get, get out of my face. But that's not what he did. He responded in, in humility. He responded in grace. And I believe some of that is because God was working on some of those pride issues that he had going on in his life. And, and ultimately, because he responded in grace and humility, that, that the Hebrew line, and in fact, the line of Jesus was perpetuated, that, that they were able to, to, to have the food they needed because God had worked on his heart. And, and so the, the question, I, again, I'm asking myself is, what are some character issues that God might need to work on me? about during this, this waiting time? Are, are there some things that God is preparing us for that if we don't deal with those issues now, we're not going to be ready for what God has next on the other end of this waiting period? Psalm 103, verses 23 to 24, the psalmist writes, says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See, is there any offensive way in me? And lead me in the way of everlasting. Like, like, Let's be in the, in the regular habit of asking God, God, is, is there something in me that should not be there? Is, is, there, something, is, is there some way that I can become more like, more like you? And, and I'll be honest, this is tough. This is hard for any of us to do. But when we allow God to work on our character, when we allow him to kind of chip off some of those, those things in our lives that shouldn't be there, we become more like him. We start to bear 
his likeness. And if there is anything the world needs right now, it's more people to bear the likeness of Christ. It, it's, God doesn't, the, the world doesn't need people with, with, more, with more opinions and more thoughts and, and, and all this. God, what the world needs is people who have the heart of Christ, people who are bearing his likeness and are willing to, to love, us, love our world through this time. And, and so I, I just want to challenge all of us that during this waiting time, let's do some real heart checks. God, what do you want to do inside of me? What do, you, what do you need to do in me that's going to prepare me for what you have next? And then the final thing I want to share with you really about what we can learn from Joseph's waiting place, waiting time was this, that we can find purpose in the prison. That during this waiting time, we can find purpose in the prison. And I want, to, I want you to think to yourself, while I'm waiting, who do I want to be? Like, who do I want to be on the other end of this? I, when this waiting period is over, when this is done, who do I want to be on, on the other side of that? What purpose can I find in this waiting season? Uh, one of my favorite quotes comes from President John F. Kennedy and his inaugural address, and I want to share this with you, and I'll, I'll probably talk more about this in the coming weeks. But he, he said something so profound, and I love this, I want you to catch it. He said, we are not here to curse the darkness, but to light a candle that can guide us through the darkness to a safe and a sure future. For the world is changing. The old era is ending. The old ways will not do. And what he's saying is, we, we can sit here in our waiting period, we can sit here in the situation we find ourselves in, and we can complain about it, we can grouse about it, we can moan and whine and, and curse the darkness and curse the situation that we're in right now. Or we can choose to light a candle. We can choose to find something good in the middle of this. We can choose to find some kind of purpose in the middle of this waiting place that we find ourselves in. And that's exactly what Joseph did. Joseph found for himself a purpose while he was waiting. He had this attitude during this waiting time that, that I can't do what I want to do, but I can do something. I can't do what I want to do, but I can do something. And, and I think every one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we can have that same heart and that same attitude too, that I can't do what I want to do during this time but I can do something. And so when he was a slave in Potiphar's house, it was a lousy situation, but he found purpose and he served well. And then when he found himself in prison, it was another lousy situation, but he found purpose and he served well. And, and, I, and I want you to hear this. The key to Joseph's success, the key to his success was he, that he made one decision after another that led him to where he wanted to go. He had to make a choice. He had to make a daily choice, a daily decision that was going to lead him in the direction that he wanted to go, that, that he found purpose in his prison. He found purpose in his enslavement. And, and, and it's about making this daily choice. It's about making this daily decision during this waiting time that will set us up. It will set us up for what God has in the future. That if we, if we take this, I, I said at the beginning, that, that oftentimes we can think waiting time is wasted time. It's only a waste if we choose to waste it. But if we think of it as an opportunity, as we th if we think of this as, man, this is a time I can have purpose. This is a time that, that I can use to prepare myself for what God has next for me. I'm going to be so much better off on the other, on the other end of this. Um, I, I, I want to share with you this, that a number of years ago, before I was a pastor, before I went into ministry, 
I was a teacher. I taught at an inner city school in, in Milwaukee. And I just had this, this sense. I just felt this gradual sense that God was calling me and calling my family into ministry. And I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know where. I didn't know what capacity. I just knew that this was the direction that God was wanting to move our life. And so, so we had this period of waiting where I didn't, I didn't know what I was waiting for. I didn't know what was going to happen. But I just knew that this was the direction that God was moving us. And, and so what I chose to do in that time was I chose to find purpose. I chose to prepare. What, I, I chose to prepare myself for what it was going to be like on the other end of this. And, and so I started to take classes. I started to talk to other people who were in ministry. I started to read books. I started preparing myself so that on the other end of this, I would be ready for what God had for me. And, and, and I'll t I've shared the same advice with, with so many other people, that while you're waiting, start preparing. While you're waiting, start preparing. Find something that you can do and then do it. Find something you can do and do it. it, it it's, so we can, we can find purpose in, in this middle, in, in this waiting period that we're in right now. And, and so we might not know what it is that, that is waiting for us on the other end of this. We might not know what, what purpose it is that, that God has for us, that he's preparing us for, but we can find something and we can start getting ourselves ready. We can start getting ourselves prepared for it. And, I, and I'll tell you this, I would never have been ready for what God had for me had I not been preparing in the waiting time. Had I not been uh, allowing God to work on my character in those moments. Had I not been allowing myself to be prepared and finding purpose in that waiting, I would never have been ready to take that next step that God had for me. And so no matter what situation Joseph found himself in, himself in, he excelled because he put his gifts to work. He found purpose that he could have in those moments. And so I just want to encourage you with one kind of final thought here this morning. And I shared with you, I, I, I went through and my family went through a very long waiting season a very long waiting period. And, and there, was, there was times it was really difficult. And there were times it was really hard. And I didn't want to learn. I didn't want to grow. I didn't want to find purpose. I just wanted it to end. I just wanted it to be over with. But until I allowed God to do something in me, until I allowed myself to, to find purpose and start preparing myself, I wasn't going to come out of that, that waiting period. I, I had some issues that I needed to settle. I had some issues I needed to, to deal with before I could move on to that next step that God had for me. And, and so the good news I want to share with you is this, that your waiting season, your waiting period that you're in right now, won't last forever. Like, I mean, so, some waiting periods last longer than others, but it won't last forever. The, this this wait, a waiting time is only wasted if we choose to waste it. And so I, I just want to encourage you with this this morning, Living Stones. Find something. Find that, that thing that you can allow God to do in you. Find that thing that, that you do well and you work at it and get yourself prepared in the waiting time because on the other end of it, God has something big. He's got something in store for you that if you're not preparing now, it might pass you by when the waiting period is over. So let me just pray for all of you right now if you would just bow your heads with me. Now, Father, I, I, I thank you, God. That, that during our waiting periods, during our waiting times that we are in, God, that we're not alone. I, I thank you, God, that you are still at work while we're waiting, that you are still doing things in us. You are orchestrating things behind the scenes that we might not even see or notice or observe in those times. And God, I thank you, Lord, that, that you take these times, you, you allow us to have these, these moments where we're waiting 
God, to prepare our hearts, to prepare our character, to, to get us ready for what it is that you have for us in that next season. And so, Lord, I pray for all of my friends who are, who are watching, who are part of, of this uh, teaching this morning. God, that you would help us to be ready. You would help us to find purpose in the prison. God, that, that while we're waiting, that we would be preparing. And God, that we would be ready as, as, as individuals, we would be ready as a church for what that next chapter in our lives looks like on the other end of this waiting time. God, I pray that you give us grace during this waiting time. God, that, that, all, that, that these, these times are difficult, they're hard to hold on to hope in the middle of this waiting. But God, we trust you in the middle of it. And I pray that you would give us grace for the moment while we're waiting. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, Livingstones, we're going we're gonna to take communion right now. And, and, I, and as, I was, as I was thinking about this whole idea of waiting, this waiting period that we're in right now, I, I thought Jesus went through a waiting period as well. He went through a, a time of waiting too, that before he began his ministry, he actually went into the wilderness for 40 days before he began his ministry. And, and he was there, he was tempted while he was in that wilderness time. And if, if you've ever been in, in a wilderness place before, you know it can be a very lonely place. And, and I'm quite certain Jesus felt very alone in, in those moments. But there's some things that can only be learned in, learned in the wilderness. There, there's some things in our life that we can't learn any other way than being alone and, and being just with, with God. And, and Jesus endured this waiting time, this testing period, and he passed it with flying colors. He endured the same temptations. He endured the same struggles that both you and I all face and all deal with. And he invited us to join him in fellowship. He invited us to join him in, in, uh, in, in what it is in, and partaking in what it is that he is doing in this world. And, and so when we take communion this morning, we're partaking in that fellowship that Jesus has invited us into. And, and so he, he's called us to follow him and, and to follow his example. And so as we get ready to take the bread and take the cup this morning together, I want us just to remember what it is that Jesus has invited us to, that he's invited us into a relationship of following after him in every way, and that he's endured all these things in the same way that we have right now. So what I want you to do is just take, take the bread right now, and let's just all take the bread together in this moment. Thank you for what you've invited us into. Thank you for fellowship. And let's take the cup together right now as well. God, thank you for making a way. Father, thank you, God, for making a way for us. God, that we could be in fellowship with you. Thank you for inviting us into a relationship with you. God, thank you for the way that you have have orchestrated all these things in our lives and that we get to partake of life together with you. Lord, I pray that you would bless my friends as we partake in this communion together as we get ready to worship right now again. Lord, we just love you and we look to you and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Livingstones, I want you to stand up one time. We're going to worship together one more time this morning.